This podcast may contain explicit language. Welcome to the Dynasty Download, the show where we prove Dynasty League fantasy is the best form there is. I'm Tom Duncan. Co-host, Ethan Hamilton. And tonight, we are quickly looking back at a lackluster wild card weekend before discussing the divisional round. But first, a few housekeeping notes. If you'd like to contact the show or have a question for us, please write us at dynastydownload10 at gmail.com. If you'd like to be on our mailing list this year or going forward, please send us a note there. Also, you can now follow us on Twitter at dydownload2020, and you can now find every episode of the show on dynasty-download.captivate.fm. Finally, please follow, rate, and review the show so that more people can discover that Dynasty Fantasy is the best form there is. So let's start off the show here with a look back at Super Wildcard Weekend to start, and let's just go in order of the games as which they appeared. First game up was the Raiders at the Bengals. The refereeing in this game was absolutely abysmal. Penalties galore and the two weird plays, the touchdown that shouldn't have been counted on the inadvertent whistle, and then the timeout that really nobody talked about, but was called immediately before the Bengals had that long conversion. Uh, I didn't really think that the, these two plays really factored into the outcome all that much because I thought the Bengals actually outplayed the Raiders for most of the game. And yet the Raiders just hung around like they did almost all of last season. And in the final few seconds, they had a chance to win it until they just didn't and ran out of uh, their magic that they'd had for most of the year. Yeah, absolutely. I think the better team won, so I don't really think that played too much into it. Um, But yeah, the Raiders have been doing what the Raiders have been doing all year long, and that's just been fighting, whether it be, you know, the stuff that was going on outside of the locker room. um, They're just a team that kind of hung around all year long. But I most definitely think that uh, the Bengals were the better team, and it'll be interesting to see what they do going into this next week. But Joe Burrow is just one cool dude, just cool headed, even the entire time. I I love his mindset. I think he's got a super bright future ahead of him in this league. I would absolutely agree. But I think one of the more dominant players in this game was Jabbar Chase yet again. If I gave you the choice of either him or Justin Jefferson for the next 10 years, who would you take in dynasty? Uh, For me, I'm going to take Jamar Chase and it's because I know who the quarterback is going to be. We don't know who Kirk Cousins, if he's going to be back and how much longer he's going to be back, but this is going to be a marriage, Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow, for a very, very long time. If the Bengals are smart, and I think that they know how how good they they have it right now in these two, you know, they'd have lifetime contracts for sure, and I think that these guys are going to play with each other for for a very long time. So uh, I'm going to go Joe Jamar Chase and it's that that's really the main reason for me I think Justin Jefferson is a hell of a player an amazing receiver but it's the future that's unknown for him and I I know what Jamar Chase is going to have I would agree with you but I'll throw in an additional factor on top of that quarterback continuity is a great thing but offensive scheme continuity we don't know what the continuity is going to be from a new coaching standpoint next year with Mike Zimmer being gone and I would assume most of that coaching staff Now, they've been running a great system that is kind of uh, similar to the Shanahan tree, this power run outside zone type of scheme 
that's really allowed play action passes and deep throws to Justin Jefferson. But is that necessarily going to be the system that's going to be lined up for Minnesota next year? I don't know. Whereas you would have to think, even though Zach Taylor's been on the hot seat since he got basically into Cincinnati, that they're going to want to continue with that coaching, at least for another couple of years. He's bought himself some time. As you were mentioning before we got on the air, it was 31 years since the last playoff victory for the Bengals. And I think there was the story of uh, text messaging was newer than the last Bengals playoff win. So, you know, it, 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 he's clearly going to buy himself some love when you're that uh, starved as a franchise for anything to happen. But uh, yeah, I would agree with you. Jamar Chase would be the pick, although I don't think you could go wrong really with either choice. Now, nah, I mean, if I had to pick between uh, you giving me Justin Jefferson instead, oh, damn, poor me, you know. But, yeah, it's the future and a really good point for you. I, I didn't really even think about that. The, you don't really know the scheme that the offense – yeah, I, I just kind of forgot that the Vikings fired their coach. Um, as a Packer fan, we kind of don't really get into the offseason this early, so I'm just not <laughs> in that mindset all that yeah. far yet. <laughs> Oh, the underhanded digs already. And yet our <laughs> potential quarterback future is impending at the end of this year. Hey man, I'm enjoying what I have right now. I am one that is known for a very long time that what we do in Green Bay and how we've had it our entire lives is not normal. So, I mean, I've been preparing for this, but yeah, it's still going to suck when it happens. Oh, I know. We're potentially on the crevice of the wilderness. <laughs> All right, let's go to the Patriots and the Bills. This was never a game. The Bills had seven straight touchdown drives. I think the record coming into this game was five consecutive touchdown drives to open up the game. And I think it was the Rams, the greatest show on turf that originally set that. But seven straight touchdown drives, the only one that didn't end in a drive or in a touchdown for them was the kneel down at the end of the game. And I still think they could have possibly fake kneeled down and still thrown a touchdown pass. So what did we really see an overly motivated bills team versus a smoke and mirrors Pats team or the best team in the AFC? I'm going to take the latter. I think we saw the best team in the AFC when they have it all going together. That's a team that's really, really hard to beat. That being said, they're so hot and cold. They're not as bad as, as the Cowboys, but lost some pretty terrible games. Like they lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars. They've lost to the Steelers. Like they've lost to some pretty bad teams. I think the Pats are who we thought the Pats would be a very good football team with a rookie quarterback, but they have the best coach probably that's ever lived. So they're going to win some football games and they're going to stop some teams, but uh, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but I think the Buffalo bills are the best team left in the AFC. Yeah, I've considered it. I don't know because it looked at times like it was too easy for them and that the Pats just kind of rolled over after about the first or second quarter, that maybe this isn't quite the Bills team that we're used to seeing. Because you mentioned some of those weird playoff, or excuse me, regular season losses that they'd racked up, and they had been inconsistent all year. I thought the best win that they had earlier in the year, and obviously we're going to talk about that again here in a minute, but was when they beat Kansas City. But then they come out on the following week on that Monday night game against the Titans, and while they played well, they ended up losing that game in a game that we expected them to walk over the Titans. And every time you think you have the Bills figured out this year, they just completely defy expectations. Either they're better than we think they're going to be, or they're much, much worse. And so I really don't know what this team is going to be, but it's going to be an entertaining game when we get to that here in a second against Kansas City. 
Devin Singletary had 81 yards and two touchdowns in this game. He has 404 yards and seven touchdowns over his past five games. Have we been wrong on him? No, I don't think so. He is who who he is. I, I think the Bills are a lot like the Chiefs, where they are a very, very dangerous passing team. And they're, they're a pretty good running team, but that's not their focus. So Devin Singletary, I don't think, is ever going to be the Buffalo Bills' focus. Is he going to have good weeks? Yeah, most definitely he's going to have good weeks. But I think a lot of that also had to do with um, everything was going so easy for them, too. So I'm not about to go out on, on the edge and be like, we've been wrong about him. I think he is who he is. He's a very good running back, but he's not an elite guy. Well, I'm, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we should recategorize him into RB1 status. He's never going to be that guy. But if they continue to spread the football out and spread out their formation, let Josh Allen constantly go and shotgun, and then run this kind of um, old Texas Tech spread offensive type, like there were very productive backs in those systems in college. And I think that does translate to the NFL where – Devin Singletary is not a guy that can take 20 totes of the rock in between two tight end sets for the majority of your game. But if you allow him to work and operate in space, and especially with the threat of Josh Allen also running, I do think he has a place where he could be fantasy relevant, as opposed to what we've been constantly talking about the last maybe two years, where he just never lived up to the billing that he had in that first rookie year. So especially if he's going to score touchdowns at this clip, you're kind of seeing him be a combination between Chase Edmonds and what James Conner was for the Cardinals. And if they keep doing this kind of system up in Buffalo, he may have the compared value to both of them, but maybe not quite as high. Yeah, I will say I was um, a little wrong about Devin Singletary because I thought Zach Moss would own the backfield by now. Um, And kind of really haven't heard from him in forever, so... I think he's been a healthy yeah. scratch for most of the second half of the year and into the playoffs. I think both of us were decently not saying like Zach Moss was going to take off, but I thought we both kind of thought that he would own this backfield eventually. Well, especially after the first couple of weeks where it looked like Devin Singletary was the odd man out again, that we kind of assumed that Zach Moss would take off for the second half of this year. And it just never really materialized for him. All right, then let's go to the Eagles and the Buccaneers game. Uh, This was a result that was incredibly expected. The Buccaneers got up 31-0 before a couple of late garbage time touchdowns by the Eagles. Brady was good at spreading it around, and Mike Evans looked occasionally healthy, still kind of working his way back from a hamstring injury, but he did lead the league in playoff receiving yards, at least through wildcard weekend, and caught a touchdown. Uh, Brady spread it around to, I think, at least 10 different targets during this game, and it was exactly what you expected the Buccaneers to do to cover the eight-and-a-half-point spread. But I really thought that this was a pretty obvious outcome. Yeah, we shouldn't spend too much time on this one. Uh, We both kind of knew that this is what was going to happen. Philadelphia picks over, you know, they, they exceeded expectations, I think, a lot this year, so they should be proud of the season that they have. But the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are one of the three best teams left in the NFC. Um, So one of the four best teams probably that's left in the playoffs. So with this, yeah, exactly. We knew this was going to happen. And I guess the only really relevant fantasy situation for me, 
because the Buccaneers we can talk about as they continue to move on, but some of their best players are hurt. And we don't know once they lose, maybe we could have the conversation about Brady potentially retiring, which I still don't think is there, but is at least popped up as a viable question. For me, it's on the other side of the ball though, with the Eagles and it has to do with Jalen Hurts. I mean, he only put together those drives at the end of the game and he was quarterback eight on the year, primarily due to his rushing prowess. The Eagles also committed to him being the quarterback one to start next season. So I don't think they're going to go out and try and really sign somebody new or do something different, but is he the long-term solution on this team? And if not, you know, what can you get out of your passing or pass catchers in this offense? Most specifically, I think Dell's got her had a good second half of the year after uh, Zach Ertz got traded, but you really didn't see the high volume passing game that you would want out of somebody that was drafted highly like Jalen Rager from two years ago in the first round, or even Devonte Smith, the, the Heisman trophy winner that they drafted also in the first round last year. I think Jalen Hurts is, is a great fantasy quarterback. And I think, you know, he's even uh, a starter in this league. I, I think he can be a starter in this league. I just don't know if Philadelphia is the right place for him because that place will eat him alive. He isn't, he's never going to be a guy that's going to throw for 5,000 yards. You know, he's never going to be a guy that's going to throw for 30 to 35 touchdowns. You know, I almost said 40, but again, Packers, Aaron Rodgers type of a thing, but like 30 to 35 touchdowns, like that's, I don't think he's ever going to be that guy. And especially in the playoffs, you're going to need a guy like that. That's been a very long time since a quarterback that I don't want to say he's, he's, he's a run first quarterback, but he's, he's someone that likes to run a lot. It's been a very long time since a quarterback like that has, has won the Super Bowl, and teams know that, and I don't think that Jalen Hurts is going to be the first one to do it. I love him as a, as a quarterback in fantasy because of his ability to run the football, but the NFL is not fantasy. You know, you're there to win football games, and I just don't know if he's going to be their quarterback two years from now, three years from now. I, I would not put money on that. I think he's a gifted athlete, but to me, he's a one, maybe two read quarterback. And in the playoffs, when you're facing so many different good defenses, you have to be able to look off three, four, sometimes five reads in any one play. And it's your ability to just after the snap, because I think a lot of quarterbacks in this day and era have learned how to read a defense pre-snap. Some of them, maybe not as much as others. And you do get experience with that. But it's your ability to also read the defense after the snap because of how many of them are disguising coverages anymore. I just don't see him as a guy that's going to stand in the pocket for three or four reads at a time and then decide to take off. I think the guys that are capable of doing that, you look at it, and I know this is an unfair comparison, but Justin Herbert, who uses his legs, but usually is a last resort. To me, Jalen Hurts is kind of the prototypical prototypical athletic running mobile quarterback that comes out of college who's used to only having to look at one guy and if he's not open take off and run and that can be productive for a while but eventually you have to develop as a passer in order to be a long-term starter in this league and I just haven't seen it quite yet with his ability yeah I can agree with everything I can agree with everything that you said there and I really I I have no dislike for Jalen Hurts at all so it's like tough to critique him and say that about him 
but it's I, I see the same thing you do. I just don't see it in him. Well, and again, I think that next year will be where we really make a more permanent determination on his ability. He's had only one year as the full-time starter and only had a couple of games at the end of last year where we kind of looked at what he was, but I'd like at least another good full season to kind of evaluate what we have in him, not only as a fantasy starter, but as a long-term starter in the league. I agree with you that I think he's better than the average quarterback, or at least viable enough to be a starter in this league. But you know, what are you getting out of that other than fantasy value that to me says he's not only going to be there for the short term, but the long term as well. And that does have a ripple effect on the rest of that team. So then let's go to a kind of controversial game that really shouldn't have been. The 49ers dominated the Cowboys for probably about three quarters until somehow the Cowboys came back, which I still don't know even know why they were in this game. It came down to this weird final play that everybody was talking about all week that has Mike McCarthy squarely in the crosshairs. I, from hearing the coverage after the game, I understand why they called the draw play on that play to try and get it closer. But with the time remaining and all of the other things that you'd have to get right in order to reset and have another play in order to uh, actually win the game, I don't know if that's the right call, but essentially what did you see for the game and in that final drive? The Cowboys didn't play their best game at all. And for them to still be in that game, I guess just goes to show you just how talented of a football team that is. So for Jerry Jones to be as upset as he was, I don't know if you heard that. He said he was super disappointed. They're too talented with every single one of those things. But again, I guess I'm going to play devil's advocate just like I did last year talking about Aaron Rodgers and if he should have ran and then the field and everything like that. I don't have a problem with the play call. I really don't. And after hearing everything from the coaches, from Dak, from everything like that, it was the execution that was the problem. I understand the call. I think there was enough time to do it. If you saw the coverage, like they were playing, the 49ers were playing picket fence on the outside. So there was a person on every five yard line. So you weren't going to get an easy out. You weren't going to get one of those. The only thing that was open was the middle of the field. And if you saw, there was nobody there. I don't have a problem with the call. I have the problem with the execution because you're supposed to give the ball to the ref. You're supposed to get down quicker. What the hell is he doing? Getting What is those three extra, four extra, five extra yards going to get you? It's not going to get you all that much. Your job was to get, closer to get another play and that was it and I think Dak didn't do what he was supposed to do I don't think the center did what he was supposed to do Um, and then the ref bulldozing everyone I don't think that helped either but I don't have a problem with the play call in that spot I really don't I'm indifferent I can see it both ways especially in hindsight at the time in like the moment it seemed weird because I'd never seen somebody try and run something like that before but through the explanation and once they at least said okay here's the decision making and here are the factors we weighed I can at least give them credit for trying to think a little bit outside the box I don't know if they had the right timing but I'm not necessarily an expert in all of the criteria that go into those late game decisions. And for me to Monday morning quarterback that 
just makes me feel like I'm a weird Stephen A. Smith clone that I never set out to be. So instead, to me, the game was not won or lost in that last drive or even that last play. To me, the game was won or lost when they couldn't really gain anything after they had that huge Dalton Schultz play for like 35 yards with about two minutes left and then had to proceed to punt almost immediately after that with about two minutes left in the game. If you can't get at least a few yards to get yourself into a manageable fourth down call with or on the other side of the 50-yard line, I don't think you have any real business of trying to win that game. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, I don't even want to put too much more onto it than that. I, I agree with you. It, I just think just like there was with the, the Packer Buccaneer game last, last year, I just think there's a whole lot of talk about one thing when there was just a majority of stuff that led into what happened. So, but that's, that is, you know, that's where you get all the clicks and that's where you get all the controversy and talk from. So I also get that side of it. Now, I don't think that the 49ers offense was necessarily the most effective in this game. They were able to run the ball well, though, and that came on the backs of both Eli Mitchell and again, Debo Samuel, who is proving again to be a valuable runner as well as receiver. But does that cap his potential ceiling in fantasy or is he a potentially better version of Cordero Patterson? I guess, are you asking if he can continue to do this like year in and year out? Well, I know they're using him as a, I guess the term now is wide back, or this is like a new coin term. And that has value that. because he's going to probably be touching the ball more often, but they still don't necessarily go to him like 15 times a game. So I wonder if it's going to limit his ceiling because he's not, catching the ball so like in a non-ppr setting i don't think it matters because yards are yards regardless of how you get them but in a more ppr league or even half point ppr if he's carrying the ball more than he's receiving and he was a really good and talented receiver early on in the year i mean he was up there with adams and cup for like receptions and yards and touchdowns for a while this year until he kind of converted to running back and he's still up there but he's not nearly as proficient in the passing game does that limit his overall ability and that capability? And I guess the injury question would also be the more susceptible one. I know he's built well as a wide receiver who is like a running back after he catches the ball, but does running between the tackles potentially open him up in a way that he's never really taken on a majority of snaps from the running back position like this in order to build up that kind of physique to prepare himself for something that's more long-term? Because right now this is a gimmick yet for the playoffs when you see it next year in training camp or even going into the regular season I think that's where it becomes more of a permanent basis that we can anticipate him being like this going forward for the Niners I personally think that he, he's going to stay relevant because he scores touchdowns man uh, they he's the one that they kind of give the ball to like from 20 yards 15 yards out, and he normally converts those suckers into touchdowns Man, I had a thought too, and I kind of lost it, but I, he, oh, sorry. Yeah. He's built well though. I, he's built amazing for a wide receiver. And I think he's built well enough to be somebody that can handle five to eight carries each and every game too, because that's about all he's, he's getting. So I do think that he could be a better version of Cordero Patterson. And I look for this probably to continue, but I, 
it's tough to say like, is this going to be like an eight year thing? Is it going to be like a 10 year thing? I think for the foreseeable future, this will be a thing, but if you're looking four or five, six years down the road, I think that's looking too far. I would agree with you that I do think that this is a closer to Cordero Patterson thing, but something that could be more sustainable long-term because we saw Cordero Patterson wear down over the course of the year and just wasn't the same guy. They didn't even use him the same by the end of the season. So I do think that this could be a long-term thing, but it really depends on what the 49ers want to do. They like versatility in their offense. Kyle Juszczyk is used as a wide receiver, a fullback, an H-back, and a lot of different things. And they try and use Debo very much in the same way where they have offensive versatility. And George Kittle can split out or go in line because he's one of the best blocking tight ends. So they like to be able to put guys on the field that they can line up in a lot of different formations at personnel groupings. So I do think that this is something that's not necessarily going to be just a gimmick for the playoffs, especially after that first game that they used it against the Rams. They have continued to use it since then. I do think this is going to end up being long-term, but I do think he's opening himself up to more injuries, but you just bake that into where you think he's going to be. I don't think I'm ready to draft him ahead of like Cooper cup because all of a sudden he's going to be both a running back and a wide receiver. But I do think that he still has potential first round value and it doesn't necessarily cap his ceiling that he's going to also be taking carries from the running back position. I just don't think he'll ever be the lead back for the team. And that's not going to matter. He's still going to be an impressive ball carrier if you get him the ball in space. It's just a matter of how they do that. All right, Steelers and Chiefs, another absolutely boring game. This was over just before halftime. And the first quarter was still interesting. Right after the first quarter ended, we got that JJ or JJ Watt, TJ Watt touchdown. But it pretty much woke the sleeping Giants. Patrick Mahomes, five touchdowns, over 400 yards passing. Travis Kelsey, over 100 yards receiving and a passing touchdown, as well as a receiving touchdown. Is there really anything to say about this game since we basically called this last week that they were going to blow out the Steelers and we thought this would be the most lopsided game? It didn't end up being quite that, but it was the expected outcome. Expected outcome, most definitely. Not Let's not mix it, mince words here. I mean, if you have such a thing as a playoff tune-up game, this would be it. But I guess where my focus will lie as far as the fantasy question out of this is with Roethlisberger likely retiring and at least not playing for Pittsburgh again, how would you say that impacts fantasy stars like Najee Harris and Deontay Johnson going into next year, at least where we sit right now? Yeah, did you see Ben Roethlisberger was pro football focus? He was 31 out of 32 quarterbacks. How the hell are you in the playoffs with such horrible quarterback play? Um, that just goes to show you just how good the rest of the team and Mike Tomlin is, I guess. But um, Najee Harris, I think, is the one that is going to take the least amount of downfall from this. He's still going to get carries. He's still going to get um, passes out of the backfield. It's Deontay Johnson that you just don't know. It's just the unknown for me, depending on where they go, who they sign. You know, they could get another guy in free agency. Maybe that bumps him up. But if I'm if I have Deontay Johnson, I'm kind of just holding at this point. Or if you could sell high, that's what I would try to do. But I would kind of just hold. Both of them are younger, and with the exception of Johnson and having some injury issues last year, he was relatively healthy. I think this year, I really don't think this changes their status at all. If Ben Roethlisberger was the 31st out of 32 quarterbacks, that means if they bring in like a Derek Carr. That actually improves the offense, and these guys might actually have better fantasy outputs. 
So I don't think that either of these guys is necessarily quarterback dependent in order to be great fantasy value in the same way that you had elite wide receivers like Cooper Cup or D- or um, Devontae Adams that were somewhat quarterback dependent on having a really good quarterback. To me, these guys are actually a little bit quarterback proof because Deontay Johnson, it was just a sheer amount of volume that he was getting. But a lot of his receiving routes were five to seven yards from the line of scrimmage. And I could see that continuing for no matter whom they have at quarterback, whether that's two of the guys that they currently have on the roster in Mason Rudolph, who at least has started some games, and Dwayne Haskins, or if they go out and get a rookie quarterback and try and mix it up with him. I just don't see much changing for either of these guys. And I think you could safely pick them in redraft right now as far as what their fantasy value is going to be. I don't necessarily think it improves their dynasty stock overall, but it's certainly not going to hurt them in the short term, if if you ask me. All right, last game that we had, our first playoff Monday night football game, the Cardinals at the Rams. After about the first quarter, you knew the Cardinals were not coming back in this one. It never looked like they got off the bus, but Cam Akers returns to an almost RB1 status for the Rams, and Odell Beckham Jr. had his most effective game with the Rams. So if either of these guys ends up having a really good playoffs, First, let's take the Cam Akers thing because it's just ridiculous that he's already playing off of a torn Achilles that he tore, what, four months ago, five months ago? But And he looked really good on Monday night. I have to say his elusiveness and his cutting ability off of that it just was amazing to me. But if Odell Beckham Jr. can look like a good receiver again, what are the possibilities for his future? Um, Cam Akers first. I mean, we all know how I feel about Cam Akers, so I want to toot my own horn there. Um, with OBJ, man, I don't know. I really don't know because I, I really do think that he was part of the problem in New York. And I do think that he was part of the problem in Cleveland. I do. And I don't think he's going to take another pay cut to play for the Rams again this next year. I think he's going to go and chase the money. And depending on who it is, where it is, if the team is bad again, I think we're going to see the same OBJ that we've seen before. So for me, with what OBJ is and could be, it all depends on where he ends ends up. I, I, there needs to be a veteran locker room for him. And I hate saying that because I hate being that guy and I hate hearing it from other people. And as a wide receiver myself, like I understand the divaness of it, but he is just a lot. And I, like I said, I think he was part of the problem in, in both of those places. Uh, it's funny. I was listening to Emmanuel Sanders he was talking to thing Colin Cowherd on the way home from work today. And he was talking about his decisions that he makes when choosing a football team. And, you know, he's been in Pittsburgh, then he went to Denver and now he's in Buffalo. He said for him, it doesn't matter about the money. Like, I don't really care what I'm going to get. I just want to win. I want to go where there's a great um, ownership in place or community and where there is a good quarterback and somewhere where I just feel at home. And I don't think OBJ is like that. I just don't. So for me, it's all about where he ends up this next year. So I don't know. That's the answer to my question or to your question. I do not know. Yeah. I still think it's open-ended. I'd still like to see how he performs this weekend and if they could get past the Buccaneers uh, further than that, you know, can he continue to impress in a way that we haven't seen some of this explosiveness for several years now, but I do agree that it does depend on which team, which quarterback, which coach he's surrounded by going into next year, because I don't think that 
he would necessarily do well in the wrong system. I think everything has to fit around what his personality is. And that's unfortunate for such a talented guy. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So we can move forward to the divisional round then. Let's uh, do a couple of the categories we started last week to preview the wild card round. What is the most likely to, uh, which is the, which of these games would you say is the most likely to have an upset? Easy answer would be Buffalo, but I'm going to go with Cincinnati at Tennessee. And there's something about them Bengals, man. They're very exciting to watch. I think most people would agree with you that Tennessee is the most susceptible, uh, bigger seed. I think the last I looked, the Kansas City game had been bet down to only one and a half points for Kansas City at home. So I don't know how much of an upset it would be, especially since Buffalo went up there or went down to Kansas City earlier this year and won. So I think from an upset perspective, that one would be a little bit different for me. I could see any of these teams upsetting any of these teams. Let's just say that. I could see San Francisco beating Green Bay. I could see the Rams (laughs) beating Tampa. I could see Buffalo beating Kansas City. I think the one where I'd be the most surprised, though, is I would agree Cincinnati beating Tennessee. Because from where uh, Cincinnati was a few weeks ago and having to really play their way into the playoffs, win their division, win a couple of really odd games, that Kansas City game comes to mind. I think that they're the most uh, unlikely team to be in a conference championship game if you'd asked me five or six weeks ago. All right, so which of these games is the most likely to be a blowout? Right now, the highest number of favorite or the largest spread on the board is Green Bay at actually minus six right now the last I looked. Yeah, I do I really have to pick one? Because honestly, this is probably going to be one of the better weekends of divisional football that we've had in a very long time. I, I agree with you. I think every single one of these games is going to be really, really good. But I guess if I had to pick a blowout, I'm going to go with Vegas. I'm going to go Green Bay over San Francisco. I think actually Tampa over the Rams or the Rams over Tampa is the most likely to be lopsided because I can see one of these teams getting up early and just hammering the other one. But that's just kind of where I'm at in my mind. I've seen that. I mean, when you think back, I think it was maybe even week three that Tampa went over to L.A. to play the Rams and they just kind of look shell-shocked during the course of most of that game. I think that there is a possibility that one of these teams gets up early and just kind of takes it and steps on the throat of the other one. All right, then most exciting game that you think for this weekend. For me, it's Buffalo and Kansas City. I think this, most people have basically said it is the real AFC championship game. And I think that might be the case. I could see one of these teams maybe having a letdown next week after what it's going to take to probably win this game. But that's the one that's most likely to produce the most points for me. And so I think by far that would probably be the most exciting. Yeah, man, absolutely. Buffalo and Kansas City, I'm going to agree with the NFL on this one. Sunday night football, amazing. Buffalo at Kansas City, yeah. that's That one's going to be a heavyweight bout for sure. And these two teams are going to go at it for, for years to come, I think. All right, so then, then let's take each of these games individually uh, to start out with. Tennessee, I think, is still favored by three and a half points against Cincinnati or hosting Cincinnati. And there are a couple of different factors that I'd like to just pin down of things I look for when evaluating playoff games. So Cincinnati and Tennessee, which one has the better quarterback? For me, it's Joe Burrow right now. Tannehill had an okay year, but he 
really was not what he was the last two years. I think this is kind of an obvious choice. Yep, for sure. Joe Burrow. Better coach? I think it's Mike Vrabel. I mean, the amount of stuff that the Titans have had to go through this year, and he's gotten them into the playoffs three straight years. I just, we have not seen that out of Zach Taylor. He could be the better coach at a different point in time, but I think right now Vrabel has more pelts on the wall for me. For everyone that doesn't know Tom and I, we never agree this much about anything. So uh, this is kind of crazy a little bit, but I'm also going to go with Mike or with uh, Vrabel as well. And then better defensive line. I think it's Tennessee because Tennessee's really, if they have any defensive prowess at all this year, it's been on their defensive line. And that's really what's held opposing quarterbacks in check. I think that Cincinnati's had an okay offensive line. It does sound like, is it Trey Hendrickson is their leading pass rusher um, is going to play after the concussion he sustained against Vegas last weekend. But I just think that Tennessee's defensive line is probably the better of these two in this game. I'm not going three for three, so I'm going to go Cincinnati. (laughs) (laughs) Too much agreement. Okay. For you, what would be the X factor in this game? For me, it's the foot on Derrick Henry. Can I pick that? If he is rolling, if he's rolling, like we all know that he can roll, I think it is over for Cincinnati, but a foot injury is tough. That is something that sticks around for a little bit especially with as serious as a foot injury as he had. So, and especially with as big of a dude as he is too. So I'm going to go Derrick Henry's foot. See, I just don't expect him. I mean, it would be absolutely amazing if he rolled out onto the field and puts up 150 yards and a couple of touchdowns, but for not seeing him for eight or nine weeks, do we really expect him to just be Derrick Henry all of a sudden with not having played football at all? I mean, he's been practicing, but you can't simulate game speed. So I really he could be effective, but I don't think that he can be like the superstar that he was when he left. And so for me, the X factor in this game is actually AJ Brown. Like we know the Cincinnati Bengals are going to throw the ball all over the yard. They have a more talented offense. It's whether or not Tennessee is going to be bottled up in the running game. And usually when they're not, it's because AJ Brown is doing his magic act of being the completely dominant wide receiver that he was towards the end of the year. And they were opening up the rest of their offense. So for me, if AJ Brown is having a good game, it probably means the Titans are winning this football game. Uh, So then who is your pick to win this game? I'm sticking with the upset. I'm going to go with Cincinnati. So my preseason pick was picking Cincinnati over the Titans. I am starting to rethink that if I, if I'm being completely honest where I'm sitting right now, but I'll stay with the upset and I'll stay with my preseason playoff or pre-playoff picks for all of these games just because they're still alive. But I I think there's a a good shot that the Titans actually come out with this one. And I'm starting to wonder if the Titans are the least talked about football team that could end up being in the Super Bowl. All right. let's just what they've been doing, what they've been doing this year alone. Like how are they in the number one seed? Their best player has been out for seven or eight weeks is incredible. And just goes to the great coaching that Rabel has been doing, but I don't know. And maybe it's just because they're not a sexy team. Maybe it's just because they're like super old school football that we're just not in on it, but I'm just, I'm not in on it. I'm going to go Cincinnati. They're the number one seed in the playoffs because they beat seven teams from the playoffs from last season, including both Kansas city and Buffalo. Otherwise this is not the number one seed in the AFC. San Francisco at green Bay, green Bay. Last I saw was favored by six at this point at home. Better quarterback in this game. I don't think it's close, and I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on it. 
it's Aaron Rodgers because Jimmy Garoppolo might be the worst remaining quarterback in the playoffs. You take Tannehill over him? I think it's close. I think, <laughs> well, I think Tannehill might be more athletic, but Jimmy might be a better pocket passer. I think they both do different things well, but I think it's a wash which one of them stands back there. You could probably put a different jersey name on either of them and it wouldn't matter. That's probably true. So better coach in this game, Kyle Shanahan or Matt LaFleur? You know, the San Francisco 49ers have won eight of their last two, or eight of their last two, eight of their last ten. But what Matt LaFleur has been doing with so many all pros out is just gosh dang ridiculous. So I'm going to go Matt LaFleur. Maybe it's Homer of me, but I'm going to go LaFleur. I think it's a wash. I think Kyle Shanahan is possibly the better offensive innovator and creative mind. But the fact that he's been put in charge of a lot of personnel, I think, has hampered this team at times because he's made some miscalculations that I don't think he should have ever been given the chance to make. So it's kind of blurred the lines a little bit on what he's capable of doing because he's had to also play with some backup quarterbacks because Jimmy Garoppolo has been hurt. But I think that they're a well-coached football team, and I really think it's kind of a wash. I think Matt LaFleur might be a better leader and better critical game manager. So maybe you'd give him the edge on that because I like him in late game situations a lot more than I like Kyle Shanahan, who seems oddly to never get the reputation of being a late critical game situation manager, but he's had two different meltdowns in the Super Bowl multiple times. So I guess most people would say this is me trying to talk myself into Matt LaFleur being the better coach, but I do think <laughs> that they're both equally talented and I do think it's a wash. Better defensive line. I do think that Green Bay has a good defensive line and they have one really talented defensive lineman in Kenny Clark. But I think the better defensive line is San Francisco, if you ask me, with that pass rush. And it's really the thing that defines their defense right now. Yeah, absolutely. I, I In my head, I'm really trying to talk myself into taking the Packers. Like, Zadarius is going to be back and all that other nonsense. But you know, the 49ers do, especially with only rushing four and bringing the pressure that they do is pretty impressive. But that being said, I know you don't have this on here. The Packers offensive line, no matter who they got in there, um, has been really, really good all year long, especially with all the injuries that they've had. And now they're getting a lot of key guys back. So I think that neutralizes the the defensive line of the 49ers, but let's not be crazy. That 49er defense or front line is really ridiculous, but is Bosa playing? It sounds like he's on track to play, but he's not been completely clear as of yet. Okay. 49ers. Okay. X factor in this game for you. X factor is Debo. I mean, for me, for the Packers to win, you got to stop Debo. And you just, you got to figure out first and foremost, you got to identify where he is every single play. You need to know where he is and you need to have um, the calls correct. He's just, I mean, we've seen this movie a million times, you know, where people now teams can come into Lambeau and some player just goes off for an amazing game. And you just can't let Debo do that because I think he has the potential to. So Debo is the X factor for me. If he goes off, I don't know if the Packers have a chance. I think he can go off. It's going to be whether or not they can hold some of the other guys in this offense in check. So I do think the 49ers are going to score points. But for me, the X factor in this one is Jimmy Garoppolo, because I do think the Niners are going to have to put the ball in the air a couple of times. And we've seen he's now got three different injuries. He's got an injury to his wrist, his thumb that made him miss a game a couple of weeks ago. 
and now his shoulder, and all three of them are supposedly causing him problems. So all of these are on his passing arm, and it's going to be extremely cold. I don't know how long he's going to hold up. If somebody hits him square, it's a possibility we see Trey Lance sooner than later in this game, and not just in some gimmick package on the goal line, which I think we're also going to see at some point too. So for me, it's how long can he hold up, and can he be good in cold weather and not commit turnovers? If you can get all three of those things, I think San Francisco probably wins this game. But if you only get two of those things, now it's a dicier proposition. Yeah, I don't know how many of you listeners have played football in the freezing cold before where there's been water bottles freezing on the sideline and shit like that. But yeah, you get rocked once. You start to question if you really want to be out there. And uh, I can see that happening for Jimmy Garoppolo. This weather is... It used to be one of our best friends. Um, as of lately, it hasn't really kind of been that way, so I'm kind of hoping it changes. So, yeah, we got to get a lick on him. All right, so for our picks, I can see this game going in a multitude of ways. I can see uh, the Packers getting up early and the 49ers quitting due to the cold. I think that's a possibility. I could see this one being tight until the end. I could see one of these teams just being slightly ahead most of the game, kind of the way the Bengals-Raiders game played out last weekend. So I uh, did my preseason pick or my pre-playoffs, but gosh, I keep making that mistake, but (laughs) I did my pre-playoffs pick and I picked the 49ers to win this game, but I have a feeling that I might be wrong on this one. I'll stick with my pick, but I think that the fact that everybody loves this is a trendy upside upset pick and the fact that the, uh, this is the biggest spread of the weekend gives me hope as a Packers fan, even though I'm picking the Niners. I'm taking the Packers. You know, we've talked about it a million times in our group chat. I feel the same way I felt about the Bucks. I feel like it's kind of theirs to lose at this point in time. I think a lot of things have been falling in the Packers' lap as luck-wise. I, this is the healthiest the team has been since <laughs> OTAs, probably. Uh, this is – I feel like everything's kind of lining up. But if there is one team that can do it, I do think it is the 49ers. I just don't think it happens this weekend. All right. Rams at the Buccaneers. Buccaneers, I think the last I looked, were still favored by three in this game. Better quarterback, it's Tom Brady versus Matt Stafford. And no offense to Matt Stafford, but I think most people would say it's Tom Brady. Do we need to spend a ton of time on this one? Tom Brady. Moving on. Better coach (laughs) in this game, uh, Sean McVay or Bruce Arians? I think this is a really good question. Um, Now that you're throwing push out there, uh, it could be a push. I don't want to go that way, but I'm going to, I guess I'm going to go Bruce Arians. I don't know why for, I, for some reason, I'm just going Bruce Arians, I guess with as many injuries as they got and important injuries as well. um, I know he's not the one calling plays and all that stuff, but the head, you're the head man, you get the credit. So I'm going to go Bruce Arians. I'm going to go Bruce Arians too. And I just think, It's an experience thing. I think it's the fact that I remember him when he was with the Steelers as their offensive coordinator and won two Super Bowls with that franchise, then moved on and went to the Colts and won coach of the year as the assistant coach slash offensive coordinator who had to step up when, and I can't remember the uh, former defensive coordinator turned coach for uh, Pagano had cancer that one year and uh, Andrew Luck. Yep. Yeah. So And then he went on and he was a good coach for the Cardinals and improved their offense. Then he comes in. I think he is a good coach to begin with. I always thought he was a good offensive play caller, but he also is a very good 
coach at knowing how to recruit and develop talent on his coaching staff. And McVay might be a great innovator as far as offensive scheme and getting motivation out of his players. And I think he's incredibly relatable and he's a guy that can clearly get his team to play. But if you're asking me a guy that knows how to win in multiple places, then we've seen it over multiple situations and contexts. Give me Bruce Arians right now. And it's not even just that he won the Super Bowl last year. I just think that the totality of his work speaks for it more than Sean McVay, who has been given just about everything he wants since he walked in the door in L.A. Better defensive line. Come on now. One one of them has uh, Aaron Donald. The other one doesn't. So I'm going to go with the team that has Aaron Donald. I think this is a lot closer than that that answer would insinuate. I think the Bucks defensive line really helped propel them to their championship last year. Vita Vea is yeah, no slouch. And Ndamukong yeah. Sue is still a good player. Jason Pierre, Paul, I mean, they've got good guys. But I think Aaron Donald's been the most dominant player on defense of the last, like, five or six years. So that's automatically going to give them probably just a slight edge on top of it. And it's not like the rest of their defensive line is slouches when they've got Von Miller teeing off on one side. And I think it's Leonard Floyd on the other. So I guess I'll go with the Rams' defensive line as the better defensive line, even though I think they're both pretty good. X-Factor for you in this game. X-Factor is OBJ. We know what Cooper Cup is going to do. We we know what Mike Evans is going to do, too. I think it comes down to if OBJ does have another really good game. I mean, this last game, he had a perfect passer rating, I think, when thrown to at 153.8, or is that whatever it is? Mm-hmm. So I, I do think it is it is OBJ. It's 158.3. For whatever it is. Yeah. I had the other uh, dyslexic. It's all right. I've had that before, too. <laughs> Family uh, trait, but... Uh, the X factor for me is which of the two running backs that is coming off of injury has the better game. We already saw Cam Akers come back in and have an impressive game against the Cardinals. I think he takes over running back one status this week. And it kind of makes me shake my head that I drafted Sony Michelle as my fantasy back in this uh, playoff fantasy league that we have now, but it's him or it's Leonard Fournette who is supposed to play this weekend. And I think that, Tom is losing faith in a lot of his receivers that aren't named Gronkowski or Mike Evans. So if you can get back the guy who was leading the league in running back receptions before he got hurt, or I think was number two at the worst, I think that's going to give him a lot of energy to dump the football off and move the ball in ways that they couldn't otherwise. So whichever of these two running backs, both receiving and rushing ends up having the better game. I think that's what's going to end up winning the football game. All right, your pick for this game. My pick is I'm going to go to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think it's mostly just because I want to see them again. I want revenge for last year. So I'm going to go Tampa Bay. Homer pick. No, I'm just <laughs> uh, I picked the bit. Rams before the playoff or in the uh, pre-playoff picks here. Hey, I got it right that time. Uh, but uh, I'm going to stick with the Rams on this one, not just because I said I was sticking with all of those uh, pre-playoff picks. But rather, I do think the Rams actually have the more talented, upbeat team. And I know they're inconsistent and they could very well lay an egg in this game. But I do think that they caught some lightning in a bottle last week and that they have enough going for them where the Bucks have been kind of sleepwalking at times through a lot of bad teams to end the year. 
They have a lot of injuries. We still don't know if two of their all pro offensive linemen are going to play in this game. So I just don't like the way they're playing and the way they're beat up. The Rams seem like they're energized and healthier and just are playing better football to me at the moment. So I'll take the Rams to upset Tampa, especially because the Rams have beaten them twice over the last two years already. I think this is a bad matchup for Tampa that no one's talking about. Finally, Buffalo at Kansas City. Kansas City was favored by minus one and a half last I looked. Better quarterback in this matchup. I think this is an actual one where we have to like talk this one out because there's a lot of opinions, but these might be the two best young quarterbacks in the league right now. I'm going Josh Allen. I'm going Josh Allen, and I think it's because his ability, the designed runs that they have for him. And he is throwing, the way he threw the ball in that weather that he played in, like, I'm sorry, that takes some type of dude. Like, the football is different in the cold. It just is. It's harder. It's harder to throw. It's harder to throw deep. It's harder to throw spirals, all of that. And he made him, he looked like he was just, just another day in the park. Patrick Mahomes, I know how great he is. I know all that. Um, I do. But for me, it's Josh Allen, man. And for the reasons why I said, for his ability, for the scheme runs that they have, and just his ability just to throw the football. For sure, the most powerful, biggest arm in the league. So I would agree that Josh Allen is playing better football at the moment. But if you're asking me if I have to pick one of these guys to win me a big football game, I'm going to pick the guy that's at least done it once before, if not a couple of times. The fact that Mahomes has been in back-to-back Super Bowls and won one and has been in three consecutive AFC championship games, I just think he has more experience in these big game moments. And I would take Mahomes to win me the game, even though Allen's been the better quarterback of, of late. Better coach. Yeah, I mean, for I'll go back though too. I mean, experience you can't you can't teach experience. You you got to go through it. And maybe it's not Buffalo's time. Maybe maybe it's not. But eventually, it's got to be right. I think the team is too good, and I don't want to get into because we're just talking about quarterbacks. But I think the Buffalo defense is better than Kansas City's too. So that just means more opportunities that Josh Allen will have. I. I get it. Like, I don't really think there is a wrong answer, but I don't know. Just something about Josh Allen for me is he makes me feel like he, he can most definitely get it done this week. Think about all of the young quarterbacks that are in the AFC right now that we're going to be able to watch for how many years, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Burrow. Justin Herbert. Yep. I mean, we can watch some absolutely Titanic matchups in the playoffs. Lamar Jackson, you can't get him out of there. Like, yeah. Baker Mayfield? Full of young. <laughs> Shut up. And then you go to the NFC, though. Seriously, though. And then you go to the NFC, you know, and you got just question marks with Justin Fields, for example, like an, another new coach. And I don't know. I mean, even Kyler Murray, who's the youngest. Of the I didn't want to say it. I thought it. Like, he's got a bunch of question marks on him right now. I thought. I thought it. I didn't want to say it, but most definitely I thought it. But everybody else, you look at Russell Wilson, you look at Matt Stafford, uh, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, all of the great quarterbacks in the NFC are probably in their mid to late 30s or yeah. in Brady's case, 44. I mean, they're they're on their back nine. That's sure. All right. So better coach in this game. Give me Andy Reid. It's nothing against Sean McDermott, but Andy yeah. Reid's been around a long time. He's been one of the best and most successful coaches yep. in the NFL. He's got a Super Bowl ring. I think he's just simply the better coach. He may not be the better late game manager, 
as we've seen at times during the playoffs with Andy Reid, but I think he's got the experience. He's got the Super Bowl ring behind him. I'll take Andy Reid. Yep, Andy Reid, for sure. Everything that you said. Better defensive line. I think that Kansas City has the better individual player or like number one superstar in Chris Jones. But if you're asking a better defensive line across all four guys, I actually like Buffalo's because they have more guys that are good enough to throw at you as good pass rushers. Give me the Buffalo line then. Uh, Same thing. I mean, I said Buffalo is the better defense in general, and that includes the defensive line. So I'm going to go Buffalo. X factor for you in this game. Running game. Which team can we, we both know these quarterbacks can throw the football, but you got to be able to control the football game as well. And the only way you can control a football game is on the ground. So which one of these teams is just going to run the ball better, not more, just better. And it's going to help the rest of their offense out. I know this is going to seem cliche, but it's which team makes the more critical turnover. I think this is going to be a back and forth game where both teams are going to score a ton of points, which one can maximize the most out of a, God unseen turnover that's going to be at the worst moment in the game because the first one of them, and it doesn't even have to be a pick sick, but just the, the time that you don't necessarily score a touchdown in this game may be the thing that makes you lose. All right. So your pick for this game, I know you already said Buffalo, so I don't need to go for much further. Did you want to add anything to that? No, I I'm really excited for this game though. I think this one is going to be a really fun one. So I know pre-playoffs, I picked Kansas City to win this game. I think either team could really win this game. I could very much, after what we saw last weekend, see Buffalo winning. But I'll take Kansas City at home just due to the experience. And they've had Buffalo's number at times. I know they lost earlier in the year and that Josh Allen has been playing better. But I don't think that the Buffalo defense is as talented as they showed earlier in the year. They're missing some pieces that they had been. So I do think this is going to be who has the ball last situation. I'll go with Kansas City because they're the home team and have the advantage at a couple of positions that I like as my team out of that one. So, all right, playoff over-unders. The last one we did, and I forgot to include this last weekend, so the last time we had this was week 18. For the season, I am 31 and 32. You are 30 and 29, and Dana is 3 and 2. Do you want to even go over the week 18 stuff or should we just skip it and move to the divisional round ones? Nah, because I don't even remember doing <laughs> I don't remember picking these ones. It was our I, end of the year Deontay special Foreman. for our, I think our hundredth episode. I saw Deontay Foreman too. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. All right. So then divisional round over under 0.5 games this weekend, going to overtime. Man, I'm going to take the over. I feel pretty good about this. This is a great week of football. Like all of these games, I think are going to be really, really good. So I'll take the over on that. I think a lot of these games are probably pretty close. So I will agree. I'll go the over on that one. I, I don't know if I, all any of these games will go to overtime, but I think they're all potentially close enough that one of them could. Yeah. 174 and a half receiving yards for both Jamar Chase and T Higgins combined over or under. I'll take the over for that too. I, the uh, Bengals are going to have to be able to throw the ball to hang around in this game, not hang around, but to be successful in this game anyway. So I'm, I'll take the over on that. I think I'll take the over too. I think the only way this goes under is if Joe Burrow is hurt, hit a lot early and that that Tennessee defensive line gets the better of the Bengals offensive line, which is a very distinct possibility. Over or under 99 and a half total yards for Jarek McKinnon. I'm going to take the under. I don't feel great about it, but I'm going to take the under. 
I think this is more dependent on whether Clyde Edwards Alaire can come back. And I haven't seen that he's even close to coming back right now, but he was electric last weekend against Pittsburgh. I imagine that Kansas city is going to spread the ball out and they've been saving McKinnon as kind of an X factor back up until now during the playoffs. So I do think with, if this was simply either rushing or receiving instead of total yards, I'd take the under, but I think he has a possibility to go over the hundred yard mark combined. So I'll take the over on that one. 49 and a half rushing and 99 and a half receiving. He has to go either both over on both or under on both Debo Samuel. I'm going to take the under. And I feel like I have to, because if it's the over something really bad. happened. <laughs> yeah. I just, I cannot see him doing both over a hundred receiving and over 50 rushing. Like I could see him doing over a hundred receiving, but not over 50 rushing. Cause that just means that he's been more involved in the passing game. If he's over the rushing total, it probably means he's been thrown to less in the game. So I just can't see both of those things happening. I can see one of them happening and I can see him having a decent game, both on the ground and through the air. I just can't see both of these totals being hit in order to do the over on this one. And then finally, this is probably the best thing that I've had on the list all season. 0.5 offensive or defensive lineman touchdowns this weekend. I'm taking the under. (laughs) That's really hard to do. That's really hard to do. So I'm going to take the under. I think the only way we'd get one is if there's a blowout happening. I don't think in a serious football game, you're ever going to throw a touchdown to an offensive or defensive lineman. So I'll take the under on this one as well, but I just thought it was one of the better ones I found as far as props for this weekend. All right. Finally, our last thing on our rundown, the fantasy playoff draft that we had uh, after round one, zero points out of Aaron Rodgers because he didn't play for you. Jamar Chase had 19.1. Tom Brady had 21.6. Debo with 18.5. Mike Evans was your top scoring player with 25.2. Derrick Henry did not play. Tyreek Hill had 14.2, saved by that 30-yard touchdown that he had. A.J. Dillon did not play. Dalton Schultz had an impressive game with 12.4 points. And Leonard Fournette did not play due to injury in that game. You had 123.4 total points in that game. And currently you're behind me by almost 14 points because Travis Kelsey, 28.9. Cooper Cup, 14.6. Joe Mixon, 9.6. Devontae Adams did not play. Aaron Jones did not play. Eli Mitchell, 15 points. Sonny Michelle, 5.8. George Kittle, 2.3. Patrick Mahomes, my high point score at 41.1. And Joe Burrow with 20 total points from 137.3. And I lost a guy in Dalton yep. Schultz. You're the only one of us, two that doesn't have a player that's able to go this weekend. But you have the opportunity. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is there, and uh, you get Derrick Henry and A.J. Dillon thrown back into the mix, and it's likely that Fournette will be able to play. So should have most of your guys able to go for this weekend. Yeah, I can see our, our A.J. Dillon scoring a touchdown. Maybe two. Maybe two. All right, two. so that wraps it up for this week. Everyone have fun with the divisional games. I know I'm looking forward to all of them except the Packers game because I get high anxiety as a Packers fan. <laughs> But thank you to all the listeners and Dynasty players out there. We do appreciate you. We will be back again next week to discuss the divisional playoffs and look forward to the championship games. But until then, go Pack Go. Go Pack Frickin' Go. If you'd like to contact the show or have a question for us, please write us at DynastyDownload10 at gmail.com. 
Also, you can now follow us on Twitter at DYDownload2020. Find every episode of the show at dynasty-download.captivate.fm. And as always, please follow, rate, and review the show so that more people can discover that Dynasty Fantasy is the best form there is. This podcast was mixed, produced, and edited by Thomas Duncan. It is a production of Ronnie Duncan Studios. Our music is thanks to Purple Planet Music. Our technical provider and distributor is Captivate FM.